Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is a uh, guest who's been with us a number of times through the years. I don't know exactly how many, but a great number, as a matter of fact. Followed by the name of Brad Crone, and he is the president of Campaign Connections. He's a political strategist. And uh, as uh, as I've often said, he uh, back before he lost his mind and got into politics, he was a journalist. And at one time, he was on the staff at WPTF many, many years ago. And then later, he started publishing newspapers. And then he got to sort of, I don't know, lost his, uh, lost his way and became a political strategist. And uh, I'm not sure... Go ahead, Brad. I'm a recovering journalist. A recovering journalist. <laughs> well, uh, I guess we, we need to start off and talk about the uh, recent primary and, and uh, your comments on the primary. And did it turn out uh, the way you thought? And were there any major surprises? Really no major surprises at the statewide level in the United States Senate race. Pat McCrory, uh, the real big surprise there, Don, was just the the internal proxy fight between the Trump faction of the party and the the Main Street Chamber of Commerce faction of the Republican Party. And and it turned out that that Ted Budd ended up, you know, whipping uh, Pat McCrory significantly with a great deal of outside money coming in from the Club for Growth, where you would have thought that Pat McCrory was – Ted Kennedy. And Pat McCrory was the most conservative governor that the state of North Carolina has ever had. And he got painted in the primary as, you know, a Walter Mondale, Ted Kennedy liberal. So that was entertaining to watch. Uh, Now, Ted Budd, who had a substantial victory in the Republican primary, has got to figure out how he tacks back to the middle to try and capture that suburban independent voter who is more centrist, more moderate right than right far right. So that's going to be the balancing act. The good news for Ted Budd going into the election cycle is this. The climate for Republicans going into the November election is as strong as I've ever seen it in 31 years. And all the indicators are that it's just going to be not only a, a tidal wave, but it could be a tsunami for the Democrats. And it's based on Biden's performance level and, and job approval ratings here in North Carolina. It's based on the fact that we could be looking at $5 a gallon gasoline, probably by Labor Day, and 11% inflation rate. And you can talk about the the... Uh, abortion Roe v. Wade decision that's likely to come down before July 4th, that doesn't do anything to add new voters for the Democrats. Yes, it generates excitement with liberal Democrats. It generates a lot of excitement with your social conservative Republicans, but those two bases are already going to show up at the polls. Uh, A Roe v. Wade won't bring out new voters, but $5 a gallon gasoline 11% 11% inflation rate concern, you know, uh, uh, just earlier this week on, on Thursday, Jamie Dimon, the CEO for J.P. Morgan Chase, said we're looking at an economic hurricane in the near future. So that environment is creating a very uh, good uh, 
platform for the Republicans to, to, to look at a statewide United States Senate race. I think clearly they have the advantage. You've seen two major polls recently, Civitas and the East Carolina University poll showing Ted Budd having a, a significant advantage. And already Sherry Beasley is on defensive about her crime record. Uh, there's an independent expenditure group spending one and a half million dollars on television right now defending the chief justice, the former chief justice's uh, record on crime. So when Democrats are already on defensive in the first week of June, I think it spills real trouble. On the congressional front, I think the biggest surprise was the defeat of Madison Cawthorn. Um, The fact that he had so many self-inflicted wounds that he could not recover uh, Republican consultant I was speaking with earlier this week, Chris Sinclair, uh, said that he lost over 20 points in about a three-week period of time. So it was not surprising that Tom Tillis and a number of other organizations got involved and spent money in there to support Chuck Edwards. Edwards will win that seat. Edwards is um, a right, moderate-type uh, Republican Chamber of Commerce I think the Trump folks will come around and and support Edwards. And I think Edwards will be a much better congressman from the standpoint of reaching out and doing the constituent service stuff. He's not going to be trying to grab the headlines and chasing down television cameras. The other big surprise, the race that I think is going to be probably a spotlight race for the general elections up in North Carolina Congressional District 1, which is G.K. Butterfield's seat, the retiring uh, congressman from Wilson, open seat there. Sandy Smith, a Trump Republican, beat Rocky Mount Mayor Sandy Robertson uh, significantly, 2,000 votes and another proxy fight between the Trump Republicans and the Chamber of Commerce Republicans. And finally, the North Carolina 13 district, which runs from Southern Wake County over to Johnston County and into Wayne County, into Goldsboro. And Bo Hines, who was a Trump-endorsed candidate, beat several uh, well-known, well-established candidates and politicians uh, Kelly Daltrey, who is the daughter of longtime uh, state representative Leo Daltrey, and uh, Devan Barber Jr. So, uh, and then former Congresswoman Renee Elmers as well. They're, they are consolidating. North Carolina 13 is going to be a competitive district. North Carolina 1 will be a competitive district. So those were the primary, those were the primary races that I was tracking in really think will will play out to be interesting elections as we go into November. So nationally, uh, you think the same kind of trend will occur nationally? And so do you think the uh, Democrats are going to lose control of both the House and the Senate or just move to the chamber? Uh, Yeah, I do. And and a, a lot of that is based on right here in North Carolina. When you look at unaffiliated performance in the primary, we had the highest primary performance, 19.66% turnout, which was the highest performance that we've seen in 20 years going back to 2002. And that was the first election after 9-11. The interesting data point that really drives home why the Democrats need to be concerned 
is the number of unaffiliated voters have pulled Republican ballots. 62% of the unaffiliated voters who presented at the primary, you know, North Carolina has an open primary, so an unaffiliated independent voter can walk in and declare, I want to participate in the Democrat primary or the Republican primary. In the May primary, Don, 62% of unaffiliated voters pulled a Republican ballot. That is not a good trend line for the Democrats. The other alarm bells that should be ringing for the Democrats is the, the simple fact of basically every single public poll that you look at, they are trailing in the generic ballot and they're trailing with unaffiliated voters. And the unaffiliated voter, the reason why that's important, Don, is that the unaffiliated voter is going to represent up to 30% of your total votes cast. So they truly are going to decide. Now, they may be registered unaffiliated. That does not mean that they're nonpartisan. Most of you unaffiliated voters are partisan in their voting. What we saw in the May primary was that they are partisan at 62% for the Republicans. And that's a big hurdle for the Democrats to be able to, to, to take on at the federal level and at the state level when it comes to the state legislature and uh, key county commissioner races across the state. I want to go back to uh, Corey for just a moment. Is his political life over now because of this resounding defeat? We have not seen a, a political candidate come back from, you know, two major statewide defeats. Now, it doesn't mean that he can't try. But I, I think it's a very difficult, a very high mountain to climb. And to be honest, Pat can return to his radio show in Charlotte at WBT and be very successful there. He was the number one morning show in the Charlotte radio market for a number of years, and it's home for him. So I, I think um, I think McCrory's future is very bright. I think he can still have an important voice in public policy in North Carolina. You can actually probably make some money doing it. Uh, now, Cawthorn is a different situation. Is his political life now over? I think Cawthorn's going to have to figure out how he's going to make a living. Uh, he, he has a, a real estate license and a developer there in Henderson County. So he may go back to that. But I think Tank in Washington may pick him up. Or actually, uh, the Trump campaign or the DeSantis campaign may actually pick him up. Don, he is a very well-spoken, he, he gives a great speech. Uh, you know, I think he's a good retail politician, but he just had way too many self-inflicted wounds there. Um, the gun incident at, at the Charlotte Douglas Airport, the videos of him engaged in inappropriate behavior for an adult and a member of Congress. So, you know, can he, can he rehabilitate? Yeah, I think he can rehabilitate. I think he's strong enough and I think he's a good retail politician, but he's got to cut out the foolishness to do it. Well, so basically there weren't a lot of surprises in the uh, uh, primary and, and uh, we're in the, election season, and, and unless things dramatically change, your summary is that uh, the Democrats are looking, uh, their their whole situation for this upcoming general election is very bleak. 
Well, I think it is simply because Joe Biden is polling so poorly here in North Carolina. He's a little bit better at the national level at 38, 39 percent. But in North Carolina, he's at 36, 35 percent. And that's that's very difficult uh, for the Democrats to overcome. Not since 1994 or 2010, neither President Clinton or President Obama were nowhere near those numbers. You know, they were at the mid 40 levels. So I think it, I think it's storm clouds are, are clearly rising for the Democrats as they move forward. And the one other thing, Don, that they've got to do, the Democrats have got to find a message that resonates with the, the centrist independent voter in the wraparound counties along our three major metropolitan television markets, Charlotte, Greensboro, and Raleigh. And right now, they don't have a message other than Medicaid expansion. And these voters are worried about their schools. They're worried about their jobs, economic development. They're worried about infrastructure. And the Democrats really don't have a message to go there. We've got lots of things to talk about with our guest, Brad Cron, and we will do that right after we take a break for these messages. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about Medicaid expansion, medical marijuana, which is uh, has, is always a controversial subject. And we'll talk about that when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Who said that? Me, down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. This forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Plant puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back with Brad Crone, president of Campaign Connections, a uh, political strategist. Uh, Brad has uh, had a very interesting career. He also served as a special assistant to North Carolina Commissioner of Agriculture, Jim Graham, one of the all-time colorful politicians in North Carolina history, and then was uh, a press secretary to U.S. Senator Locke Faircloth. Uh, at one point, and then, of course, he has uh, opened his own political consultancy firm and has uh, always been a, a great to share his time and his thoughts with us. Uh, you know, a couple of things that are sort of interesting about how time moves on, but, uh, 
we had, of course, a vote on mar uh, medical marijuana uh, legalization in North Carolina this week. Ten years ago, that would have been unheard of. Uh, uh, what other things are you observing that the public is changing their minds on and becoming uh, uh, more tolerant, I guess, is the word, uh, more accepting of things that uh, maybe they wouldn't have accepted uh, maybe 10, 20 years ago? I think there are a couple of pieces of legislation that are uh, dropping, draw, dropping, dropping jaws and getting attention down at the legislature, and that's uh, online video poker and uh, sports betting. And then the medical marijuana, clearly, uh, for sure, those are uh, – you're right. As we move forward, the state is is progressing. Um, we are not as socially conservative, perhaps, and the Republicans see that. I think they see the benefit of medical marijuana and how it can improve the quality of life for people who are nearing the ending stages of their life. And I think also they're looking at online uh, video poker and sports betting as a huge revenue source for the state. And so you've got uh, important influencers and community influencers like David Tepper, the owner of the Carolina Panthers, and Tom Dundon, the owner of the Carolina Hurricanes, the state's two major professional sports uh, companies, and, and they see the entertainment value. They see the revenue potentials for online sports betting and for video gaming across the state. The video gaming proposal would uh, involve the, the state lottery and would have a mechanism where there is very strict compliance and regulations and the, the lottery would be able to capture the revenue on a daily basis and out of a sweep account of the people who have the online gaming. So basically it, it would be mini casinos where you have uh, digital video slot machines that are now in place with the Catawba tribe and with the Cherokee tribe, but expanded out uh, to the major sports venues. And also it, it will probably show up at your neighborhood uh, at your bars. Um, you know, your, your dining and uh, entertainment venues that people are able to go to, that you can sit at the bar and play video games and have you an adult beverage. So just, just that fact that we're seeing even the consideration of that. You remember 10 years ago, uh, 12 years ago, they, they outlawed uh, video gaming. <clears throat> so the fact that the Republicans are willing to come back and say, Republican leadership's willing to come back and say, yeah, we're, we're willing to entertain this. We're willing to look at it. Let's investigate it and see how we can regulate it, how we can make it fair, uh, make compliance an important element, and make sure that we have the ability to trace the revenue and the, and the money that's going in and the money that's, that's going out. So very, very interesting. And the other dynamic, Don, that I thought was truly intriguing over the last two weeks of the state legislature has been the rapid push to get Medicaid expansion through the state Senate. And that Medicaid omnibus bill is intriguing too, because there are a number of components to it. Yes, you get Medicaid expansion, 
the Republican conservatives are also reworking the certificate of need legislation. And the certificate of need process is a regulatory uh, oversight that the Department of Health and Human Services manages with our state hospitals and with our doctor groups. And it, it, for example, if you wanted ambulatory surgery for an orthopedic issue and you wanted it outside the hospital, the Department of Health and Human Services would go through the process of reviewing the need and then giving you a certificate of need so that you can build and operate that ambulatory surgery center. And it would present huge savings in the health care delivery system. But the hospitals are very worried that while in the major metropolitan markets, it may not impact them in the, the minor markets, in say Salisbury, for example, in, in Lexington, for example, or even down in Jacksonville, um, the mid-sized hospitals may be impacted negatively by losing revenue if there is a free market of services out there that are competing with the hospital when it comes to surgery centers. So there's there's been some some push back and forth between the the Republican conservatives, free market healthcare uh, Republicans, and then the hospitals. And the other major element of the omnibus bill on Medicaid expansion has been the SAVE Act. The SAVE Act is an expansion of scope of service for advanced practitioner nurses, for nurse anesthetists, uh, for respiratory care specialist nurses, uh, for uh, your uh, nurses who have master's degree uh, and would be an associate physician. And that would increase the ability of access for people, in particular in rural areas. But the docs, the medical society, has not found any humor in that legislation because they are worried about market share, and they're also worried about oversight. So they want to make sure that the licensing process is in place, that there's a regulatory component to protect consumers and patients if there's expanded scope. So with all that said, that legislation moved out of the state Senate this week and is now going to the state house and all eyes will focus on the state house. I'm a betting man that I don't think that it will move out of the house before they end the session. And that if it comes up, it will probably be in a lame duck session after the election between November and the end of the year when their terms expire. The Speaker of the House, Tim Moore from Cleveland County, has made it abundantly clear that he doesn't have the votes right now to look at Medicaid expansion within his own conference. He's also made it clear that he's concerned about the certificate of need and he's concerned about expanded scope. So there may be a Mexican standoff uh, between the House and the Senate, and we'll see if it goes to conference. The, the one other really interesting element, Don, that's going on at the legislature is that both the president pro tem and the speaker have already put in place conference committee to begin working on the budget. So both sides, the House and the Senate, are working on the uh, short session budget. As you know, we already have a two-year budget in place, so I don't think you're going to see substantial changes. 
the one big area that that there will be attention on is going to be the surplus and whether what type of tax release and tax relief we see uh, coming out of the, the legislature. I hear there's one group that looks that would like to do a, a statewide rebate to all taxpayers making incomes below $200,000, $250,000. You know, both of us are old enough to remember when, when John Ingram was commissioner of insurance and he'd get money back from an insurance settlement. He'd issue checks right before, right before the election in October with a, a nice rebate, consumer rebate from the insurance companies with John Ingram's name on the envelope. So that could be an option for the Republicans. Another one would be additional tax cuts for corporate and personal levels. And then there's also a push on internally uh, to, to sandbag the money, to put the money, surplus money back in to keep it in a rainy day savings account, simply because there are concerns about what if we do have an economic recession or a little hiccup in the economy, will that impact us on a revenue standpoint? Interesting. And, you know, how we sort of opened this uh, this segment was talking about how we are becoming, uh, I guess the term is more progressive. But, you know, you and I go back to the day where we had Sunday blue laws in most counties and retailing wasn't even allowed on Sunday. Right. I mean, uh, North Carolina has always been slow to adopt uh, changes. I mean, the states around us all had lotteries before we did, et cetera, et cetera. Well, in uh, another area, Don, there's are the blue laws on alcohol. You know, the, the, yeah. uh, there is a big push. And I, I don't, it won't happen in the short session, but I think when they come back in January, I think you're going to see another big push from your major retailers like Target and Walmart to get involved in the liquor business and to rework our ABC uh, structure of how we manage and, and control alcoholic beverages across the state. And as you know, going all the way back to, to post-prohibition, North Carolina has been the most conservative state and the highest tax state when it comes to, to spiritual liquor sales. Well, we've, uh, I don't know where this uh, began, but North Carolina has always been, uh, as I said, slow to change on these uh, quasi-social issues, and uh, they've always been slow to change. And the Sunday Blue Laws, I know as recently as, what, 1985, uh, stores like uh, Belk were still not open on Sunday. <laughs> right. And, so we've come a long way. Right. And the irony is that it's the conservative Republican majority in the state legislature that's that's leading the discussion on these issues. And they've had, you know, there have been some heartburn moments for them. Uh, the, the family council, John Rustin's group, uh, has worked, uh, you know, diligently on the issue in particular when it comes to video gaming uh, and sports betting. So not everybody within the Republican conference is going to be able to jump on board with this. Will they be able to build a coalition? I think they will. And I think you're going to see, I don't, I don't, I, the timeline right now for the legislature is, is really tight. So I don't see a lot of these issues moving. And the reason I say that, Don, is that the, the general rumor at the legislative building right now is they want to adjourn right after July 4th. So I think the next three weeks, four weeks are really going to be 
very busy weeks for them when it comes to to uh, dotting the I's and crossing the T's on the state budget. And uh, I don't know if the House will be able to take up the major legislative uh, element on Medicaid expansion, on Certificate of Need, and on the SAVE Act expanded scope of practice between now and that July 5th timeframe. That's why I say Speaker Moore's indication um, was that, you know, it may be a November technical correction lame duck session right after the general election. One thing the speaker did say late in the week was that he set the goalposts for spending on special projects back in each legislative district. So out of the 120 members, there's basically 150 to two, 150 to 200 million dollars of allocations that will be able to go back into special projects for legislators, legislators in the state house. Our guest is Brad Crowland, and we are talking about things that are facing us all as citizens of the state of North Carolina here on Carolina Newsmakers, and we will be back with much more right after these messages. Watch out! The galaxy is safe once again. In the pretend universe, kids play with pretend guns. In the real world, it's up to us to make sure they don't get their hands on a real gun. If you have a gun in the house, keep it locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Olivia, from Washington. <clears throat> Laid off and trying to keep our little kids from realizing that mommy and daddy haven't eaten in a while. Roger, from California. I'm grateful we could afford our son's surgery. I'm nervous that now we can't really afford food. Daniel, from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Donna, from Louisiana. The storm just hit, and we went from donating to the food bank to needing it. Keisha, from South Carolina. I've been skipping meals so my two kids can eat, but filling up on water doesn't really work. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Brad Crone, president of Campaign Connections and a frequent guest on our program. You know, I, we have not mentioned two words that uh, are very much in the news right now, and that's the word gun, and the second word is control. And, of course, all of that comes about because of the recent tragedies uh, that we've been reading so much about and and have touched so many hearts and touched so many people. So what is your feeling on where we're going with gun control? And is there, uh, is there such a thing as gun control anymore? Well, I think the gun control issue really is going to tear at the hearts of the Republicans because their party is split on universal background checks. And there is a component within the Republican Party that not only says no, but heck no. And they're not willing to move. And you're seeing that at the federal level and you're seeing that at the state level. But to be sure, rational minds 
could be able to come together and work out some type of solution, build some type of consensus and compromise to at least give more tools to our law enforcement, law enforcement community to be able to track uh, handgun sales and be able to monitor uh, long gun rifles, in particular, those that have the ability to be semi-automatic and easily converted to an automatic weapon. And that's going to be the really big challenge. But Don, we are the only country on the globe that has repetitive multi-injury, multi-fatality shooting incidents. And I'm a firm believer in the Second Amendment. I don't own any guns, but I have many friends who own a lot of guns and enjoy them for sportsmanship, for target shooting. Donnie Harrison's a longtime friend. We were talking about it over the weekend, and Donnie has a a long-range AR-15 and loves going out to the firing range. He's a former sheriff, and so he realizes that the pressure that you see from a regulatory and oversight that we, we have got to figure it out. And we have enough people who are smart who can figure it out. And, you know, we have to do a better job of keeping guns out of the hands of people who should not have them. And that's, that's just the real crux of, of where we're at. Well, it's a difficult issue. And of course, we, you know, basically the gun lobby has been able to just continue to kick the can down the road and, and, uh, uh, year after year, it's really interesting. We've really not seen any significant movement on this issue in a long time. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens this time around. Well, uh, and let me, another, com- another component of that, Don, is, is with all that said, you know, when you talk to voters about what's top of mind for them, you had the event in Tulsa, you had the event in Uvalde, Texas. What's still top of mind for them is the price is the price of gasoline because it's costing them so much money out of pocket. Had a friend today tell me that it used to cost $25 for her to fill up and now it's costing $50 to fill up. And that extra $25 is keeping her from having a movie night or, or getting tickets and taking her daughter to, to the movie. So, it's putting a real strain on available cash and revenue. And so Roe v. Wade and guns, I really do believe, take a backseat to inflation and the price of gasoline as we head into the November cycle. Well, it always boils down. What, wasn't it President Clinton? Is the economy stupid? Right. His- <laughs> <laughs> it always has been the, the number one issue and always probably will be. Uh, the other interesting uh, question, I guess, is while the public uh, is very much seemingly in favor of the actions that administration's taking on the Ukraine situation with Russia, it has not seemed to improve the uh, approval rating of the president. I uh, wonder why that is. It, it doesn't that, seem to get credit for that. Yeah, it's just not translating. And it, and. Uh, that's why I found, you know, I was reading the, the Wall Street Journal earlier, 
and uh, CNBC. There you go, bragging again. There you right. go, bragging again. Well, but the comments from Jamie Dimon, who's the CEO of JP Morgan Chase, were very alarming and getting a lot of news coverage from the financial press. And one of the elements that he cited in making the, the uh, comments that he did about a pending economic hurricane was the, the Ukrainian war, the fact that the Federal Reserve is stopping quantitative easing, and, or matter of fact, reversing quantitative easing, where they're putting making available uh, for brokerage houses to, to buy equities and stocks. And then the third one is just the rate of inflation at, at 8% and the impact that has on, on people's money. So, again, the, the focus, as I see for the summer, is, is going to be what impact does gas prices have? The other interesting story that I've been tracking is the, just the supply chain issues that we continue to have that, have, that we've seen the disruption from COVID-19. And the impact, the fact that we cannot get baby formula on the shelves from a domestic manufacturer is something that is very alarming. It is alarming to your policymakers, and it is alarming to uh, the average everyday consumer. And so I, I keep saying we are in the age of rage. Tom Campbell and I were talking about it. Tom actually uh, uses the phrase a lot as well. And we are, and the rage is coming from the consumers who are sitting there saying, you know, why can we not get this under control? Why are we having constant supply chain issues? And then the, the age of rage also builds on the fact that the disruptors in government, the Trump faction, they are absolutely fed up with government regulation, the size and scope and the breadth of government and their day-to-day -day lives. And they have been willing to you know, throw the wrench into average everyday operations. And then there's a subset of voters who are sitting there saying, why can we not get government just to focus and do a better job, a more efficient job of delivering services to the citizens and the residents of the locality, the municipality, the county, the state senate district, the state and the federal government. Why can we not get the mail delivered? You know, why is it taking such a, a long process to deal cleaning up the water system in Flint, Michigan or the Kimors plant down in Cumberland County? So that frustration boils over into our politics. And it may be social issues, it may be economic issues, it may be national defense issues, it may be supply chain uh, issues. And it just makes an environment that is really acidic uh, from a political process, whether you're Democrat or Republican. Well, the supply chain and the baby formula thing brings to mind what we're finding out uh, in the research we're doing as far as what kind of news people want, they really don't want the news. They, what they want is how does whatever we call news affect me? I mean, 
they're, they're not particularly interested in who introduces a bill. They're interested in what the bill does for them. Uh, I don't think uh, we're seeing a lot of people very concerned about whether a person is a Republican or a Democrat. What they really want to know is, whatever happens, how does it affect me? Right. And, and that translates into what you're seeing on the public policy side. In particular, education stands out as we discuss this. In the last two years, Don, I have seen an absolute evaporation of support from the public when it comes to our public schools. And a lot of that has been driven by the fact that mom and dad have been at home, the kids have been at school some, they've been schooled at home some, they've had mask on for some, mask off for some, and it's been a real roller coaster for the last two academic years due to COVID-19 protocols. And what that has done with the voters who have children in the home who are public school or in K through 12, they have seen the, the curriculum and they've gotten actively involved in the curriculum. And the Glenn Youngkin governor's race in the Commonwealth of Virginia is an example of that total complete evaporation of support. I saw some focus group data out of Cabarrus County earlier this year where a number of parents, mixed Democrats and Republicans, were very critical, very critical of the classroom teachers. And that was extremely alarming. In my 31 years of, of working in politics and public policy, I had never, ever witnessed that. So, the schools are what we're seeing from a public policy standpoint of public opinion is that you're right. People want to know how is this curriculum going to impact my child and will it be a benefit for them as they move forward to secondary education, whether it's community college or the university. And I think we're seeing a lot more engagement from parents uh, concerned about that. The other element that is intriguing to me is the support for school choice. Since the Republicans came into power in, in 2011, they really worked to expand out the charter school options and private school vouchers. And all sectors of the, the voting demographics are supportive of school choice because they want their child to have the best educational access and opportunity so that they can be successful, productive citizens as adults. And I think also people can relate to heart issues like no baby formula, because everyone who's ever had a child knows how helpless a child is. And that issue has certainly resonated well with people of all ages, not just mothers, not just people with children. Absolutely. And uh, the president and the White House have been slow to respond to that. Even the president said in his hearings on Thursday, uh, on Wednesday of this week, that, you know, it was two months before he realized that the executives, the Abbott executives who manufacture, uh, when they ran into shortages, then it was a 60 day time frame before that shortage that the industry officials let the 
public policy officials and the, the Department of Health and Human Services and the White House know, hey, we got a problem here. So that raises a larger question. We have got to do a better job of uh, onboarding, nationalizing critical supply chain issues, in particular in our pharmaceutical sector. Our, our pharmaceutical manufacturing sector should not be dependent upon India and China and Asia for raw product supply. And we've got to address that. And we've got to make sure that, that we can manufacture the base chemicals here in the United States to be able to take care of any type of public health emergency that we may face now and in the future. Because COVID is not the only pandemic that we will ever face. There will be more pandemics as we come forward. So the lesson we need to learn out of that is having a strong public infrastructure and making sure we've got a supply chain that can accommodate American patients. We have one more segment with our special guest, Brad Crone, and we'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. You stay tuned. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon, there's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it. Unless you're a chameleon. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back with our guest, Brad Crone, who's the president of Campaign Connections, a very frequent guest from our program. And we've talked about all sorts of things, including the economy. We've spent a lot of time talking about the effects of inflation. We've talked about gun control. We've talked about Medicaid expansion, medical marijuana, and the legalization of that uh, as a, uh, uh, a new thing that has come out of this session of the General Assembly. We've talked about sports betting and uh uh, that's a big deal. And we also talked talk a lot about uh, the general economy and uh, the approval rating of the president. So we've talked about all sorts of things. One of the things we have not talked about is a special issue that still seems to be in the news from time to time is the matter of student debt. Uh, do you think anything's going to change on that? Because that's a very controversial issue. Well, the president is making moves just this week to, to look at doing some debt forgiveness and debt reduction in particular for students who attended a uh, specific uh, for-profit 
a secondary education company. But we have to address it. Uh, you know, we've talked about uh, throughout the show, I've, I've talked about Jamie Dimon's prediction that he, you know, Jamie Dimon's a pretty significant, you know, Fortune 10, J.P. Morgan Chase CEO. He went through the real estate collapse, uh, very well-respected national and international banker. And when he says that we are headed into an economic hurricane, I'm going to pay attention to that. And my fear, Don, is that we have some type of trigger event that, that impacts the economy. But we have to figure out again, we got smart people in this country and we are, we are loaning money to students to go to school, to get an education that cripple cripples them financially coming out of the university or, or coming out of their trade school. And that just seems morally wrong to me. We've got to do a better job of figuring out how to make secondary education, whether it's at University of North Carolina or at Wake Technical Community College or at Johnson and Wells in Charlotte, that make it more affordable and accessible for students who want to be able to go and get the skills they need so that they can be productive. My fear long term from a generational standpoint on student debt is how it impacts the ability to buy a house. Uh, how it, it impacts your ability to get into, uh, you know, start a family. So we, we've got to do a better job of getting uh, future generations access to affordable health care. Well, it's, you know, it's a very complicated issue because so many students have been, have already paid off their student debt. Do you go back and, give them money for uh, them paying theirs off. Uh, as you said, it, it's, there's, there's two components to it. There's the past and there's the future. And uh, I think almost everybody agrees that we've got to do something about the high cost of education because that's just going to increase future student debts unless we change something. But then again, there's the fairness issue. And so it's a complicated issue. And of course, you know, the other thing about the economy that's so interesting is Everywhere you go, you see people wanting to hire people. You don't normally see that in a, an economy that is uh, uh, having difficulty. Uh, businesses are having trouble filling all their openings. And the housing market is extremely robust. Uh, you know, you hear most people say that when you list a house, you expect to get more than the listing price. And what's amazing there, Don, is that it's universal across the state. It, you know, yes. there is no inventory in Mount Olive, North Carolina, much less Charlotte or Durham and Raleigh. And the average time frame for a house in, in the city of Charlotte is eight days, nine days. I think it's a little longer in, in Raleigh and Greensboro, but it's just a wild market. I saw a report yesterday where there had been a 46% increase in pricing on housing in Wake County. So it's staggering. And so I talked to Wendy Harris in, in Fayetteville, and Wendy is the <clears throat> president of North Carolina Realtors. Same thing in Cumberland County. You talk to 
uh, realtors in Charlotte, same thing. The market is absolutely on fire. And you have to pull yourself back and ask the question, how long is that type of market sustainable? And when I talk to the real estate agents, in particular in the metropolitan regions, they think that it's going to continue, even if we have an economic hiccup. You look at the jobs that have been announced in Greensboro for, with, the, with the battery plant in Randall, Randolph County and the jet company over at the airport in, in, in between Greensboro and Winston-Salem. <clears throat> There's 10,000, 11,000 jobs here. Here in the Triangle area, it's about 13,000 jobs that the governor, Governor Roy Cooper, has announced in the last six months, seven months. So, and we just we just barely missed on a, a high-tech uh, electronic car company locating here in North Carolina. And they actually announced that they were going into, into the state of Georgia. But we barely missed that. So the economic development folks have truly been on a roll, um, and it's a positive thing. The big challenge on that, Don, is going to be workforce. And like you said, where are we going to get that workforce? So Thomas Stiff, brilliant man, president of our community college system, a former city council member over in Durham, worked as chief of staff for Pat McCrory, uh, served on the Durham city council for a number of years. <clears throat> Very bright man. He was saying that it's going to be a combination of job training through our community colleges, of getting this the, the workforce ready and having a job for them once they get out of the training, whether it's at a community college or at, at trade school, and then people moving in to the state of North Carolina. And the, the fly into North Carolina as a place to live is helping drive that shortage that we're seeing in housing. And from, you know, I was just looking the other day, you know, my parent, my mother grew up in Mount Olive, my father grew up in Goldsboro, and I was looking uh, at real estate down in Wayne County as a possible area to retire to. There are no houses down there. So um, I, you're seeing that all over the state. I, I was up in Elizabeth City a couple of weeks ago, uh, inventory, a huge issue. <clears throat> The market all over the state is hot. Well, I, you know, I visited my little hometown of Bessemer City a, uh, a couple of weeks ago and was talking to an official of the city of Bessemer City. They've ordered a piece of equipment. It's an expensive piece of equipment. Uh, and uh, the delivery date is 13 months out. 13 <laughs> months out. So my problem with understanding economic situation is how can you have a recession or and of course, those things drive inflation. But how can you have a recession when everything is so backlogged and there's there's people waiting to buy stuff that's not on the market yet? Right. And <clears throat> you're seeing that in big appliances right now, too, and, and white yeah. goods. You know, used to you could go to the Sears store and, and get you a Kenmore refrigerator and have it delivered that afternoon. Our good friend, R.W. Goodman, down in, in uh, Rockingham in Richmond County, you know, ran, made a very good living uh, selling white goods, household goods, freezers, refrigerators. Um, and you could walk in the store and heck, Sheriff Goodman would get it delivered to you in the next couple of hours. 
those days are long gone. You go to Lowe's and go to Home Depot or try and buy a, a refrigerator and you got a waiting period there. So I agree. It, it is it is truly dumbfounding the economy that we're in. And I think it's a combination of transition on how information and technology impacts the supply chain. And it's also a result of the disruption that we've seen as a result of COVID. <clears throat> One piece of legislation that I'm following real close is the IT sector antitrust legislation that is pending in Congress, where Senator Klobuchar out of Minnesota has introduced legislation that would basically break up Facebook, Google, Amazon, Apple, probably Walmart too. They're right on the cusp of it. And what type of impact and, and, and uh, negative uh, impact that would have on not only your economy from a sector, from, from a major sector of your national domestic product, but also from consumers and small businesses who rely on those companies to help them run day-to-day -day business affairs. So that's going to be absolutely intriguing piece of legislation at the federal level. There's a chance it could get moved. I don't see it moving. There, there are not enough votes for cloture for sure, but truly an intriguing uh, piece of legislation that could have direct impact on a lot of companies that are here in North Carolina doing business with regional headquarters and then also with the business community altogether. It's uh one of the few pieces of legislation that the United States Chamber of Commerce has come out on this year and is actively opposing. And you're seeing state chambers and local business organizations weighing in on it. So I doubt seriously that our two senators would join any type of effort to look at antitrust. Again, going back, Don, to the key factor of they got bigger fish to fry when gas is at you know, $4.40 a gallon and inflation's at 8%. Well, I'm going to give you a very short wick of time on this one, but have you ever seen a time where there's so many conflicting issues in the economy that you say, well, if this is true, then this can't be true. If this is happening, then this can't be happening. And in fact, both of those things are happening. <laughs> right. You, you really do have to throw away the rule book. Um, you know, why do we face the supply chain issues that we have and look at the fact that we're sitting on a $6 billion surplus here in the state of North Carolina? And the, the simple fact is, is that with all those confluence, you got to come back and say cash is going to continue to be king. And the one good thing out of that is that we're sitting on about $6 billion of cash in reserve right now here in North Carolina. North Carolina is in great shape, no matter what happens. I'm not sure about the uh, federal government because uh, they borrow so much. I, I guess cash is never a problem with them. Well, Brad, thank you so much for being with us. Brad Crone, president of Campaign Connections. We'll look forward to you returning again soon. In the meantime, if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and uh, hear the entire broadcast or select the portions of it. So until next week, same time, same station. Have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. 
Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.